This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, it must be uh, Friday before the long weekend because you're dressed like Brian Wilson. I <laughs> And I'm... I'm I'm in these track pants. I look like Chris Christopher Maltesante. Yeah, these these are the ABC joggers. Uh, not that we talk like we don't talk enough about Chip Wilson on the show, but these are the Lululemon ABC joggers. I can't get out of these things. Yeah, that you said they're pretty comfortable. Well, it's like now I'm just I never do my whole life my, in them. My uh, my flower shirt is also very comfortable. Speaking <laughs> of Brian Wilson, I'm listening to uh, it's the the guy who started Rolling Stones. Uh, autobiography. Okay. Not very good, but uh, he talks about- This is an audio book? This is an audio book. Did you realize, it's not Brian Wilson, it was the drummer of the Beach Boys, was friends with Charles Manson before, I think you probably knew that. I I think I did. But what I didn't realize is he's kind of documenting that period and everyone thought Charles Manson was framed. They didn't think he did it. They thought it was like an attack against hippies. Side note, did- Charlie Manson try out to be in the Beach Boys. Do I, do I remember uh, that correctly? No, he was trying to get a record deal, though. Uh, yeah, right. He was actually apparently a not very good uh, I guitar call him player. Charlie, because yeah, we're not, you're on. You guys are friends. <laughs> good Lord. Uh, what do we got today? We've got Kyle Green on the program. This is a phenomenal conversation. Kyle Green, we call him the ace mortgage broker around right. here, but he's so much more. He's a real estate investor. He is the owner of the Green Mortgage Team. He owns his own brokerage. He owns now. his own brokerage now. Yeah. This is a guy that knows more than most about real estate, real estate investing, markets, and also the ever-changing interest rate environment and how that actually impacts on the ground getting financing, what your options are today. And uh it's a tricky time right it's now. A tr- it's a tricky time. The exciting thing about Kyle is he works more than half of his client base, maybe even quite a bit more, are investors from all over Canada. Right. So he's really got his finger on the pulse there. And, uh, you know, we often say people don't pull punches. I feel like today, more than more than ever, Kyle is very open about basically liquidity drying up, nobody wanting to buy. The challenges. Uh, the challenges and how all, all his investors are sitting on the sidelines, nobody's refinancing. So it, there's a ton of useful takeaways in thinking about navigating this this tricky moment in the market. We also check in because Kyle has been very open about his real estate investing on our program over the years. He is uh, is often a leader in terms of kind of where he's going and what he's doing. He did a, a project that was a short-term Airbnb rental in Six Victoria. Units, I think. Downtown Six, Victoria. Units, yeah. We had him talk about it a bit on the program. We also get caught up to date with that. It's It's a very interesting conversation around Airbnb 
But it also kind of makes you, there's some nuances there that are really interesting that come out of it. So if you are somebody interested in Airbnb or someone that owns Airbnb, there might be a lot of light shed on uh, your current situation. Well, here. yeah, that and and also opportunities, right? Because he, basically he starts by, uh, you know, with a lot of kind of negatives, like what's going on in the market? What are his clients saying? Right. Uh, but we end with what are people doing right now? What's the play? What's a, what's exciting? And there's there are some opportunities out there, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, for sure. But before we get to that, Matt, uh, we have a couple house cleaning items. Uh, house cleaning? Housekeeping. No, housekeeping. I housekeeping think items. Yeah. We've got, uh, of course, the new website, which is is performing incredibly well. Everybody seems to enjoy it. If you want to do a deep dive over there at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, Tons of more useful information. That's where we have our show notes. It's also where we dive more into the guests so you can learn more about people and what we're talking about on the show. There's links going out for conversations we've had. Lots of information there. Yeah, but more importantly, there's a button, a little button called Sell With Us. Sell With Us, You click on that and uh, you get something called the Sold Plan. Our most downloaded document to date, the Sold Plan. This is uh, for sellers that are entertaining the idea of selling their homes. This is a step-by-step guide to get your property ready for market. It's it's really just it's it's straightforward. It's based on having sold hundreds of homes in this marketplace. It's very specific to the lower mainland, probably applicable in other markets. But really, this is how we sell real estate in Vancouver, and uh, we are a unique market. So definitely sign up for your own free plan. It's an instant download, I believe. Instant download. There's a button. Sell with us at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. But maybe Adam. We should, uh, I think that's only, the only thing we have uh, in terms of housekeeping. But Yeah, that uh, and check out our Instagram because so oof. many stories. Just north of 6,000 followers this yeah. past week. So yeah. thank you everybody who has followed us. If you're not following, there's lots of useful information. There's behind the scenes, there's guests, photos, there's stuff going on. Our stories are always going. Oh, We're doing polls. Just off the charts. It's, it's, it's just, uh, it's where you want to be. Exactly. It's where you want to be. Uh, but uh, with that said, maybe we should cut to our talk. With ace mortgage broker, Kyle Green. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Berquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Marcon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at marcon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at Marcon Homes. Marcon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Kyle Green, the owner of the Green Mortgage Team. How are you doing, Kyle? Pretty good. 
Yeah. yeah. Thanks for coming down to the studio, Kyle. Uh, it's been a while, and uh, but of course, past guest fan favorite. So yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for your time. Of course. We we always get such great feedback from your episodes, and I think it's because we uh, y- y- a lot of actionable talk here about obviously you're a real estate investor focused mortgage broker. So we want to kind of dive into a lot of stuff around investing, but also what the market's doing. Um, so this is going to be a great, great episode. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Kyle, maybe can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. I'm losing track of how many years I've been doing this now, but uh, I think it's this November will be 17, yeah, 17 years in the right. business. So kind of crazy. I started working with real estate investors back in 2008, started doing public speaking in front of big rooms of, of uh, real estate investors uh, when I was 21 years old. The first one happened by accident. I was a trade show and a mortgage broker that's supposed to speak didn't show up. And the next thing I know, I'm being told, hey, Kyle, I need you to speak at 1.30. I go, okay. 600 people in the room. <laughs> no material. <laughs> that was fine. There were some butterflies going on in that one. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you also need to recognize a good opportunity when you see it. And uh, you're doing somebody a favor, the organizer a favor. And uh, that organizer was Ozzy Jurok. Some, some of our listeners may have recognized that name. For sure. And next thing you know, I told Ozzy, the butterflies are gone, which was a lie, by the way. They were definitely not gone, but <laughs> the butterflies are gone. I want to do this every time moving forward. And uh, it's kind of funny looking at some of my PowerPoint presentations, my first ones, I'm like, oh man, this is so bad. <laughs> <laughs> but you do it and you figure it out. You um, got to start somewhere. Exactly, right? So um, yeah, I mean, fast forward now, um, I, I've been investing in real estate, but quite a few properties I uh, I own a mortgage company as well, Green Mortgage, also own a mortgage brokerage. So we have just over 50 agents uh, funding $1.1 billion in mortgages each year, and we help build build uh, brokers up to be their best as well. So, yeah. And you just got married, so it's a busy time. You got it, yeah. <laughs> it's nice, though. It's, it's like all that planning and everything. It's, you know, for a while there, it's like twice twice a week meetings with my at the time, fiance, yeah. to like plan everything out. And I was doing like 10% of the work. I'm like, oh, this is so much work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's kind of the best when it's over. Yeah, literally. Yeah. yeah. And both of us, like, oh, we can relax now. Right. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Many of the thank you cards and uh, all that. So. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Kyle, I, I just had a question. I mean, you've, so you've been doing this for 17 years. Uh, before we hit record, we were talking about the market and how unique this moment is. Mm-hmm. Have you seen anything in your 17 years that resembles this moment? No, no. I will say like as a, as a business owner in the mortgage business, this has been the most challenging market I've ever actually been in, ever. Every other market circumstance, there's always been opportunity to, to do business. And in this particular climate, I found that with such a large real estate investor base, um, that almost always is a counter lever to normal market circumstances. So when the market's really hot, a lot of the time investors say, yeah, I'm just going to kind of tap the brakes. When it's cold, a lot of real estate investors start sniffing around and they think, hmm, this is opportunity, right? Like, let's get in. In a high rate, high inflationary marketplace, it's not a moment where investors are coming back in. And so I've actually found that my large group of investor base is not, um, is not buying. And for many good reasons, you know, a lot of people are just thinking, yeah, I'm just going to wait this out and see what happens. So, you know, we make money from purchases, refinances and renewals. Nobody's refinancing. And Hey, I'd love to get rid of my 1.69% rate. Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to get 6%, yeah, you know, right. it's insane. Right. 
nobody's refinancing to open up equity to buy a rental property. So there's not a lot of refinancing right now, which is a big, big part of our, our base. Right. Uh, renewals are harder to win because a lot of clients don't qualify to move the mortgage. And so a lot of the time we say, well, I could get you a better rate if I could qualify you, but I can't. So you just have to sign the renewal letter that the bank's giving you. And so that's one challenge for sure. Plus, the banks are just more aggressive on renewals in, in, as a general rule of thumb in today's climate. So you have more people chasing less business. So everybody's more aggressive and it's harder to, uh, to win deals in today's climate. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a tough, tough, tough time. I think it's, it was the early 80s was the last time we saw a marketplace that I think resembles this. But frankly, most people were not brokering mortgages in the early 80s. So a lot of us don't really remember what it was like to be in the business. There's some people obviously that owned real estate and were perhaps real estate investors at the time, but very few mortgage brokers who were brokering in the early 80s anyways. How has the sentiment changed kind of pre and post the most recent quarter point increase? Or has it? I mean, it has. Yeah, just 30 or 45 days ago, rates were 1% lower. Everything happens so quick right now. It seems like the markets are more volatile than we've ever seen. One of my clients is a bond trader, and he loves this climate because the volatility is where you make your money, sure. right? And so, you know, he's one of the few people that loves this type of climate. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's very rare for us to see such big swings. So the the bond market is a uh, the reason I'm talking about bonds um, is that because that's where fixed rates are de- uh, are determined. So depending where bonds move up or down, that's that's how a bank is going to price their mortgages because they they sell mortgages, bundle them up, and then sell them. They're called mortgage-backed securities, and then investors can buy a bond or they can buy a mortgage-backed security. They're really similar asset classes. But the bond market is a predictor, and so they predict what's going to happen in the future. And it's really hard to predict what's going to happen in the future today. We're all struggling with that as a mortgage broker or whatever. If you're in the financial market, it's really hard to predict. So the predictions keep moving around, and that's causing the bond market to shift in larger ways than we've seen. And when the whole Silicon Valley Bank thing happened uh, back in March, we saw one of the largest swings downwards in, in bonds over a few-day period that we've seen, I think, either ever or since the early 80s or something. It was a really, really big swing that we haven't seen in most people's lifetime. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, uh, it makes it really difficult to operate in a climate where things keep changing on you all the time and, and you end up having to redo deals a lot. Like we will get a client placed into a, a term and say, hey, I actually had this recently, a client, we we're looking at it and the predictions about 45 days ago were, hey, the, uh, a variable might be a good choice for you given where we're going to be heading and for the customer, et cetera, get it sent into the lender. A couple of days later, oh, never mind. Actually, you should go with a short-term fixed rate. So now we have to can the whole approval we have with one bank and send it to a brand new lender to get a new approval. You know, So you're, you're doing deals over and over again. And I guess, I, and I'm just thinking back to the Silicon Valley bank and my thinking on this, this spring is, you know, it seemed like we were kind of, out of the woods a little bit. People were talking about rates coming down by the end of the year. It's kind of the bizarre world where bad news like the Silicon mm-hmm. Valley Bank is actually good news because, you know, it's a sign that potentially, um, you know, the, the rates will come down and and the tightening has to stop. And then the spring was really busy and it was busy, not necessarily in volume, but it was busy in 
with little inventory, multiple offers, prices appreciating in a surprising way. So that's presumably when you were talking variable, right? It's like, okay, yep. variable makes sense. By the end of the year, you're going to be in a better spot. And it just switched. Are you still with this quarter point that we had a couple of weeks ago, inflation numbers out today that seem expected, but probably because they're expected positive? Like, are you still thinking fixed for two, three years right now is, is probably the best play? Yeah, I think so. Primarily because it protects you on the upside, but it also allows you to take advantage of the soon-to-come downside of interest rates eventually dropping. And so if you take a five-year fixed at today's interest rates, you're in a weird spot where the short-term rates are actually more expensive than long-term. Usually they're closer to, to each other or slightly more expensive for longer terms. But we're in a weird spot where like a one-year fixed rate is like 6.5% right now. And then a two-year rate is probably six and a quarter. A three-year rate might be 6%. A four-year might be 4.75 or 5.75. And a five-year might be 5.5 as a rough example. So you're in a way inclined to take a five-year fix because the rate is lower. And in fact, we've had some clients just because the qualifications, because the stress test rate is lower on a five-year fix. Like you can only qualify if you buy mm. buy this using a five-year fixed rate mortgage. Um, however, with the expected change in the marketplace, you don't want to be locking in for five years at you know five and a half percent. Bond traders that predict where bonds will be in a year from now are predicting that bonds will be about one percent lower than they are today in a in, in a year and a half, so the end of twenty twenty four. Well, that means that you could, in theory, renew your mortgage at a rate that's one percent lower in just a year and a half. So a lot of our clients are looking at a two or three year fixed rate, kind of that a mix of a decent interest rate, but also not locking it for too long. I'm an, I'm an Excel nerd, right? And so, of course, I like to build models and spreadsheets for this kind of stuff too. And I, I have a spreadsheet that I continue to update that allows us to review with the current market expectations on the, the Bank of Canada and then compare that versus a short-term fixed rate or any fixed rate term, if you, if you will. Um, we can actually look at what the overall interest cost would be over that term. So you can look at, well, I, I want to choose a th either a three-year fixed or a variable. And we can look at what the current assumptions are in the marketplace of what's going to happen with Bank of Canada, uh, which, by the way, is another quarter point increase this year. That's what all of the major banks are predicting. Mm -hmm. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, and then starting to drop around halfway through next year. So if you asked me two months ago or a month and a half ago, the expectation was probably starting to drop in January right? Um, and, and flat for the rest of the year. And that was looking very good, favorable for variable. Now, all of a sudden, it's, it's a bit harder to, to choose again. But interestingly, because the fixed rates also have gone up based on the, those assumptions, because now the bond market is seeing what central banks are saying, oh, well, now we need to bump up our, our fixed rates. And now all of a sudden, before you could get a three-year fixed at 4.99 and you're comparing 4.99 versus a variable, well, now you're comparing like 5.99 three-year fixed versus a variable. Well, again, surprisingly, sometimes the variable can, can make sense. But I, I'm worried that if you take a variable, you're not protecting yourself from the potential further upswings. It's been a crazy time of, of almost everybody under-predicting how high mm -hmm. rates mm -hmm can go like the variable needs there needs to be and i remember because you're in a variable uh on a on a property that hopefully we can talk about i'm in a variable mm -hmm. but in thinking back we were in such a stable moment for so long yep and that's when variable makes sense in a lot of ways that you can kind of at least have some comfort whereas you know in a in a moment where variable makes sense in april 
but it doesn't make sense in June. Maybe it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's where I'm kind of coming out, uh, thinking like it's, it's, we're in such an unstable moment that variable seems like it's just harder and harder to make sense of, even if you're getting, you know, a premium or or a discounted rate to take it. Yeah, and that's the other part too, is that most lenders are not offering a good discount off of the prime rate right now either, which is usually a function of the uh, risk and volatility in the money supply. Uh, When the money supply is very loose and there's lots of money getting printed, usually the discounts off of prime tend to be better. Uh, But when the governments do the opposite, which is basically trying to shrink or at least try to decelerate the money supply increase, usually that means that the discounts off of prime get worse. And so, you know, why would you take a, di- a variable right now at prime minus 0.2 or 0.3? You could have taken a variable at prime minus one, you know, not long ago. Right. At least you have a nice discount off of prime, wherever that prime rate had uh, heads and goes. So that's the tough part too is, you know, variable right now, prime is 6.95%. And a lot of lenders are offering us very small, minuscule discount off of that. There are some banks, however, that are offering pretty deep discounts, like Prime Minus 1 is still available. One bank actually is Prime Minus 1.2 for insured mortgages. And oh, for wow. uninsured mortgages, it's Prime Minus 0.9, which is pretty good. But most banks are in that pocket of Prime Minus 0.2 or 0.3. Kyle, just thinking about variable rates, you know, obviously, I think people, everyone taking variable before kind of this ripping upward trend in in the Prime rate you know, when you look back, you're like, man, I should have locked in. I should have locked in. I should have locked in. Most people didn't, as I understand, at least a lot of people I've, mm-hmm. I've talked to are, we're always thinking, okay, we're kind of at the end. When you're talking to people right now that are approaching you, like, first off, are there a lot of people that are approaching you that are in potential distress? Like, are we, are you thinking there's going to be distressed sales? Can you kind of give a, a an idea of, of the people, what's going on in your, in your world? And then secondly, are there, any kind of quick fixes at this point, or is it just, you know, settle into a painful environment for the foreseeable future? Yeah, the, the unfortunate part to answer your second question is there's not a lot of great solutions to this kind of climate. There's not a lot of great solutions. There are some moderately okay solutions, but we have had a lot of customers reach out to say, what do I do? What are my options? And in so many situations in the past, especially say, oh, great, we can just refinance this, pay off the other debts. And and by, by the way, the rate is lower than what you currently have. So we can even lower your mortgage payments. And yeah, you're going to have a penalty to do this, but we'll roll it up into the mortgage and your overall payments are going to decrease significantly. In this kind of climate, that's not an option. Sometimes we can't even take them back to their own bank to redo that mortgage for a number of different reasons. And so the only solution, if they have some debt, is to slap on a big second mortgage, which is going to cost them 12% interest. Well, your credit cards at 18% is not even that much higher than the, right. the second mortgage, right? So there's not a lot of great solutions in this type of climate. Here, Here's one way of looking at it because we're, again, it's really important when we talk to a client that's in distress to figure out what is your primary objective? Is it to pay less interest or is it to to just get through the next couple of years? And a lot of people come in and they they make it seem like their objective is to pay less in interest. But when you dig deeper, it's usually actually, no, 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 I just need to save money on my payments. And understanding that makes a big difference. And here's an example. So if you look at variable versus fixed on a, over a three-year period, 
based on the information we have today, which, by the way, keeps changing, and this is why things are tough, because even people that, you know, we're talking people locking in a year or two ago, et cetera, the information we had at the time, it didn't seem like locking in necessarily made sense based on that information. But, of course, with hindsight, yes, everybody should have locked in. No ifs, ands, or buts. Absolutely. But if you compare it, a lot of the time, what ends up happening is if you look at locking in, we think that the the cost, interest cost over that three-year period will be similar if you're in a variable versus a fixed. But what is happening is if you're in the if you decide to stay variable, your payments will be higher for the first, you know, first year, then it'll be a bit closer to what a lock-in rate would be, and then year three, maybe you're saving money. But a lot of people need the payment relief immediately because if you lock into a three-year term, then you just immediately year one, your payments have decreased because you're locking into a lower interest rate than what you're currently at. Uh, and then year two would probably be similar. And then year three would um, would be higher if you were in a fixed rate than the variable. Mm. So for a lot of our clients, they don't really care about year three. They care about today, right? Yeah. right? Yeah. Year three, sure, whatever. I'll figure that out when yeah. I figure it out. I need to save money today, right? And so that's the, the key for a lot of our clients is like getting to the root of the reason that they're reaching out and... Most people don't like to admit that they're they're in a position where they're really concerned about making their mortgage payments. I haven't seen a lot of people though and that are that dire that absolutely have to sell. And I think part of this, the reason we have inflation is the the printing presses were going crazy. And people are sitting on still to this day more savings and more liquid cash than they've ever had because there was so much money getting printed. That's why we have inflation, because people had more money to go chase fewer goods, right? But it means that people still have a certain amount of money in the bank account that they can use Mm -hmm. to just kind of cover them off and get through it. The concern is if rates stay higher for longer, people will eventually run out of that liquid savings. um, And then what happens is the question. But it's literally, it's just taking longer than they thought to get that money out of the system, right? Which is essentially what they're trying to do. Yeah. But it's right. just taking a hell of a lot longer than they thought. Oh, yeah. I know. Definitely. And in hindsight, I think the government should have recognized that this was not transitory. It, you know, it was real inflation. The amount of money that got printed was an insane amount mm-hmm. worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to see all of that money chase so few goods and not have inflation. So in light of that, just thinking about the market, do you think that we're in for some more pain here before before the market improves? Honestly, it's so hard to predict this market. I, I don't I don't know. By nature, I'm an optimistic person. I'm extremely cautiously optimistic in this climate. I expect that the market trends that we see right now will kind of balance things out a little bit, but I expect it will be... I'm not expecting this year to be great for the real estate market. I expect it to just be kind of okay and keep riding it out where it is right now. And I think that we have the low, very, very low supply market, which is still booing this market. And we saw this, especially in the in the spring, all of this pent up demand. There's a lot of people sitting in the sidelines that want to get in, that haven't decided to do that since probably January or February of 2022. It's been, That's a long time in Vancouver for people to sit on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. They're ready to buy, but I'm going to wait it out. A year and a half is a really long time to wait. And so that's why we saw interest rates drop and then a huge flood of people. And that was a very concerning moment for the Bank of Canada to say, oh, no, we've got to increase the the interest rates to kill this. And if you look at their wording, by the way, uh, a lot of it was predicated on the real estate market was too hot. We needed to bump up rates to put a dampering 
effect on that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I don't think the low supply is going to change drastically, but it might change short term or medium term, like in the next six to 12 months, perhaps. Maybe you're going to see more of those people that have depleted their savings and eventually have to start to sell off some property. So we might see that bump up, but I still feel like the demand is still slightly higher than the supply. And so there's some room for that to move up and still be in a balanced market, which in theory should have a flat flattening effect on valuations. But it, it's really hard to say. I, I also think, though, moving forward in the next couple of years, we have massive amounts of migration coming to Canada. You will have decreasing interest rates at some point in the next couple of years. It might not be until later in 2024. And then you also have, I've had a lot of conversations with small to medium developers who are choosing not to start projects today. And that's, that's going to cause an issue in the future where 18 to 24 months later, all these townhouse projects that would have started today mm-hmm. or last year did not start. And now in 2024, 2025, you have higher demand because interest rates drop. Immigrants that have moved here are now looking to, to buy and to move somewhere. And then there's nothing, nothing for them to buy. And so we're expecting a bit of a mini boom. Probably 2025 is a reasonable expectation for that, but it could be as early as 20, late 2024. Right, but basically yeah. the d- demand shock because we're not, we're in a period in which there's very little supply coming to market mm-hmm. in terms of new supply. Yep. Because the numbers don't work and and it's tough in the pre-sale market and it will lead to demand shock. So is there, I guess in my mind, then you're talking to investors across the country. They're not active right now. No. Is this, do you think that's a smart move? Is this a good time to buy? So... Here, here's what I, the story I tell, um, or not really story, but the, the phrasing I've been using. Is today a great time to buy? Not really, but I think it's better than two years from now. That's, that's the conversation I'm having right now. It's tough when the cash flow is so tight to make it, you know, make it make sense, mm-hmm. right? But if you think about it, if the expectation and thesis is correct that in two years from now we're going to have a mini boom, do you want to be buying in that market or would you rather be buying today? And, and saying, okay, I'm going to buy in today's market. I'm going to be cash flow negative, but I'm going to get my foot in the door of the property. I'm going to take a short-term fixed rate, like a two-year fixed rate. And when I come up for renewal, if the expectations are correct that rates should be you know 1% lower and I renew at a lower rate, and there's a lot of inflationary pressures on rents, by the way. I mean, we've seen in Vancouver and greater Vancouver, like 15 to 25% inf- inflation in rents, which is crazy. Um, well, then what happens in, in a couple of years from now? You're able to, perhaps you're lucky and you turn over a tenant and boom, now the rents are $400 more a month. The mortgage gets renewed. Now you're saving $600 a month on the mortgage. Well, now all of a sudden your cash flow position is changed by $1,000 a month in two mm-hmm. years. And you got your foot in the door at today's prices instead of two years from now prices. So I think the concern is that it's going to get worse in two years from a trying to buy in a hot market and and trying to jump over each other to do that. I think there will be some opportunities, but you're you're going to have to bank on it being not so great for two years, perhaps, with the high interest rates. Mm. I was just, we just had Jeff Myers on from Zonda talking about the U.S. market. And one of the things they were talking about the low inventory is like the fact that there's these 30-year mortgages at super ultra low percentages, right? Between one and 2% that people have, and they're not planning on, on selling, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's in their investment property or their principal residence. So you have these just across the board, very little inventory. 
And we were trying to think of about how that translates to the Canadian real estate market. And my, my assumption is that a lot of people that bought in like the middle of 2020 or so, mm-hmm. a lot of them likely got five-year fix for, you know, 1.49, 1.69% mortgages that will carry them maybe till 2025 thinking, right? Which is when you're actually saying the market will probably come back for a bit of a boom. Do you think that's part of what's driving the low inventory is is the fact that a lot of people are in fixed lower rates or do you have any thoughts on that? To a certain extent, yes, because it's a little bit different in Canada versus the US. It's a lot easier to port a mortgage right. in Canada, right? Whereas the US, it's either difficult or impossible to do so. Um, so, you know, if you do have a good low interest rate here, you can sell and buy and you can move, sure. right? Um, but I think these functions are resulting in a low demand and low supply marketplace because the demand is lower because of interest rates and and just the general market sentiment, but also the supply is low because a lot of people have a lot of faith in the real estate market in Vancouver moving forward. I think a lot of people get into it not because they are getting in to get out and make a quick buck. It's I'm getting into this real estate market because I truly believe that 10 years from now, it'll be up 50% or whatever that expectation is, right? Mm -hmm. So people don't get get into this market thinking it's a quick quick flip type of scenario. So I think that people are, are all, a lot of our clients we talk to are all of the opinion that yes, it does suck, but I really don't want to sell if I don't have to. I really just feel like I want to hang on to it and do whatever I can to hang on to it. And I think that might be one of the reasons why Canada is a bit more prone to perhaps entering into a recession than the U.S. is. Because I think in the United States, we saw this in the subprime crisis, people were happy to just hand the keys back and just say, see you later, right? In Canada, it's a bit more of a, I don't want this to come across this the wrong way, but there seems to be more of a pride of ownership and like people are more willing to commit their income to their housing in Canada. Mm-hmm. And so I think people are doing whatever they can to hold on to it which means that they'll have less disposable income to spend other in other areas, which may then mean that we're more likely to enter a recession than the United States, which then may mean that interest rates come back down, which then means that hanging on to the real estate made a lot more sense because now interest rates drop, now values go up in general, right? right. So it's kind of a weird right. nuanced thing. But, but there is, I think there's a long-established culture in Canada of not defaulting, right? 100%. Like that's tried and true over generations now, I think. Big time, uh, yeah. So I'm just thinking, like, what are the opportunities right now? Is it in private lending? Like, is that, what What are the, if somebody's out there going, like, should I buy a property? What should I do? I have this, I'm sitting on some cash. I want to do something. What What would you recommend? GICs are great right now, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's. I've had a lot of investors who are, you know, I reach out to them, hey, are you doing anything? Oh, no, I put my money into a GIC, Kyle. I'm just going to ride this out for a year and see what happens. I got 4.6% on my GIC. Huh. It's like, it's not bad. <laughs> I mean, yeah. really, if you, if you didn't want to do anything else, then it's not bad. But I think you can do better. Interestingly, bring up private lending. We've seen an increase in demand and supply for private money at the same time hmm. because it's harder to qualify now. I mean, some of these were running the numbers on it and like, I have to stress test this mortgage at 8% or 8.24%. This is insane, you know, because the mortgage rate is 6 or 6.24%. I have to add 2% onto that. So I have to assume that the borrower can afford payments at 8 or 8 and a quarter percent, which is pretty crazy, you know. For qualifying somebody for a line of credit, we have to use an even higher number, close to like 9% interest to qualify them. So we have 
this circumstance where values have not decreased enough to offset the difficulty increase to the interest rates and therefore the increase uh, to the requirement of how much income you need to carry a, a home. And so you have a higher quality borrower that now has to go into B lending and private lending. And so you have, in general, that's if you were to invest in something, you say, well, if I can lend out my money, get a higher rate of return, because generally private lending moves up or down with the prime rate. As a right. general rule of thumb, a standard private lending mortgage is going to be for about prime plus four. So the prime rate's going up, then you can invest and lend out your money for a higher rate of return. But you're also getting a better quality borrower to choose from. And a lot of our private lenders right now, I'll send them a deal that I'm pretty sure I could have gotten done six months ago. And like, Kyle, it's got a lot of really good deals on my plate. Like I probably, like I like this one, but it's not as good as my other ones that are on my plate. And I don't really have enough money to do all of them. So I'm going to do the other ones. Hmm. So we're definitely seeing the investors picking the cream off the crop and just saying, oh, we can just do these ones. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. And so just to be clear, like somebody gets in touch with you if they're interested in, in private lending, you're literally sending single deals. Yep. Like this is guys, John Smith, he needs X amount. Here's a reason why. Here's the story. Mm -hmm. Do you want to, do you want to invest? Yep, exactly. Or lend them the funds, I guess. So you can always do that. And it's a one-off, like one-off basis, or you can also just invest in a MIC, a mortgage investment corporation right. as well. And that's where you're now effectively a shareholder of a pool of money that's pooled out and, and lent out to a number of individual people. And in general, the MIC is taking one to two percent of, of their fee off the top for managing that uh, that that fund, 
and then you just have to check with each fund. They have different redemption periods and all these other uh, angles and, and factors to look at. So in general, perhaps a little less control investing in a MIC. And in general, usually the rate of return for most investors is a little bit higher by doing one-off deals. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also more work. And also it takes some time perhaps before your money's working for you. If you want to invest it with a MIC that needs money right now, you can put it in there and right away your your money's making money for you. Sometimes as a private investor, you might not find the deal that you want to do for three or four months. And then your money's sitting there making you nothing until you do so. And how long, so if you're a private investor, is it, what are the terms usually? Is One year it? usually. Yep. And then the investor has the option to renew it in a year if they don't want to. So if you if you look at it, like when I look at a typical real estate deal in Vancouver today, and I look at putting 20% down payment, expected negative cash flow, but then you also make money from the, the mortgage pay down, which again is not as good as it used to be. Mm-hmm. Like we're probably looking at like five or 6% return from the mortgage pay down. Whereas when r- rates were lower, a larger amount went towards the principal. So your return on investment from paying down the mortgage was higher, closer to like nine or nine and a half percent for a while. Uh, and then the expected appreciation. A lot of the deals that I see are anywhere from 13 to 18% return on investment from buying property. You could also just lend out your money and make 10 to 12% return on that. And it's all cash flow because it's just monthly income that you're generating. Mm-hmm. And it comes up for renewal in a year from now. So if you're not totally sure if you want to be buying in this climate today, then you can say, oh, I'm just going to lend out instead of owning it. I'm going to be a lender in this market. And then in a year from now, I'll reevaluate. And then maybe you say, oh, I'm not going to renew this mortgage. And now I'm going to parlay the money into ownership again. But because the spreads between lending out and the and owning have have tightened, more people are looking at maybe lending out their money in this climate. Whereas before, when rates were lower, better return on cash flow, better return for mortgage pay down, a lot of the deals we were looking at like anywhere from 18 to 25% return on investment owning real estate. And in a lower interest rate environment, as a lender, you would be making like 7 or 8%. So that spread was much wider. So I think that's why we'll have a lot of investors that are looking at lending money instead of being an owner. And how much, uh, just to play out two questions about the lending to specific individuals, like how much, how much money do you need to get into that market? Can you, are you, is it like me and five other guys are, are, creating this mortgage, you know, with a hundred grand each, or is it usually one-to-one? More one-to-one. I mean, I, what you'll find is in general, you can, you can bundle people up and do that. There are some securities laws that get in at play here. Cause all of a sudden if you're bundling up a bunch of people together, is that a security or is that a mortgage? And that gets complicated as a mortgage broker in particular. Mm -hmm. I know there's some stuff coming down the pipeline on how the, BCFSA, the, the entity that governs us, views those types of transactions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as a mortgage broker, we generally t- try to shy away a little bit from those. At least it's not our primary you know, first go-to. Also keep in mind, too, I now I'm dealing with five different people all yeah. ask me, oh, am I going to lose money on this deal? I'd rather talk to one. And so I do have some people that we deal with that, where it's, it's one call. And maybe behind the scenes... They're the lender, but then they kind of like replenish their own cash sure. and that's, that's fine. But I'm talking to one person about it. And so if somebody is interested in this, like how much money should they have? Like, you know, it depends. So if approach. you have a, if you have somebody that says, okay, I want first mortgages and I want the low risk stuff. Well, a first mortgage in Vancouver is not going to be 50 or hundred grand. It's going to be 500,000, a million dollars. Right. Yeah. So you have to be, you have to be deeper pockets if you want to do the first mortgage stuff. Uh, second mortgages can be as small as $50,000. Um, 
But the more money you have available, the more deals you're going to see. So we do have some investors say, hey, I've got 50 grand to invest. Okay, well, I might see one of those or two of those in a year mm-hmm. where somebody needs 50 grand. And so you're not going to see a lot of deal flow, right? Those are perhaps better to just put your money into a mech or something like that, where at least your money gets working for you right away instead of waiting to, to get that little deal here or there. Mm-hmm. And, and just as a final question, I'm that guy. What happens if they don't pay, Kyle? Like, is it, do you go over with a baseball bat? What's a... Uh, Hockey stick in Canada, <laughs> you know? Yeah. What's the, what's the scenario? What's the recourse? Yeah. I mean, you're always... So the way that you look at private lending is you're always looking at what are you lending on and how much are you lending on it? Um, so you're always looking at more the real estate and the exit strategy more than you're looking at the borrower. So if you go from A lending, it's, it's heavy on the borrower, and less than the property. They still look at property, but it's really the underwriting is based mostly on the borrower itself, good credit, income, all that kind of stuff. B lending is kind of in the middle. So B lenders are a bit more property dependent uh, because they assume default is more likely to occur. What's the underlying asset below this loan? Private lending is like whatever. The client can be in whatever circumstance, but will I get my money back if I have to foreclose on it? One way of looking at it and thinking about it sometimes is, if you're going to lend 75% of the value of the asset, would you own the asset for 75 cents on the dollar? So if it's a million dollar property, I'm going to lend $750,000 on it. You might be the owner of that property for 750 grand because maybe you go through a foreclosure and instead of selling the property, to get your money back. You just say, I'll just foreclose on it and I'll just own it mm-hmm. for seven, for what I lent on it, which is 750,000. So it's a different kind of way of looking at it. Like would I own the property for, the loan to value I'm lending on it. Um, so that loan amount. But you can go through, obviously, a foreclosure process. It just is a very long, arduous process. It takes, they have to go into default for not, for 90 days, and then you have to go through a foreclosure process. They call it an order NISI, and it's nine months of going through that. And keep in mind that they're not paying the mortgage payments. They're not paying property taxes, usually, in that scenario as well. And um, and your legal fees start to rack up. And that's where you f- don't find that investors like to lend more than about 75% of the value of the asset. Mm-hmm. You can sometimes get higher than that, but it has to be the right deal. I'd like to shift gears a little bit and uh, focus on some of the opportunities in the market. And I'm thinking I liked I liked your thoughts on, on now is a time where you might not be competing. But if we wait for a market where we see rates come down and we see everybody jumping back in. Obviously, now you're competing, you're you're paying um, a premium on the real estate. You Last time you were on, you bought an Airbnb property, or you were talking about your Airbnb property in Victoria. I'd like to check in on that and then talk about maybe kind of where you see the opportunities in the province. Sure. So, yeah, we bought that uh, property in late uh, 2021, uh, renovated, uh, renovated all the units, and we themed each of the units. So it's in downtown Victoria, one of the things we looked at was why are people traveling to Victoria? So I just went to Expedia and a couple of other sites and just looked up what are the attractions in that marketplace. And then we designed units to th- be themed around that. What are, what are the themes? Yeah. <laughs> Orca, Orca theme, garden theme, because there's the Butchert Gardens right, um, yeah. over there. Just a lot of people actually visit that. We have a West Coast theme, which has like some native art, like totem poles and masks and stuff like that in it. Uh, Parliament theme. So we have one that has like the picture of the queen and some some flags. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, whatever. It looks really cool, though. It looks really cool. (laughs) Snoozer. Jeez. Man. Uh, We have a Chinatown theme uh, unit because that 
actually Canada in, in Victoria has the longest um, still standing uh, Chinatown in it uh, because the Chinatown down in San Francisco, I think it was, uh, had a f- major fire in like the early 1900s. So it's right. actually the oldest Chinatown. So I have oh. a, a unit with that with like authentic Chinese furniture and, and everything in it, which is kind of neat. And then we have a uh, a Navy theme because there's uh, the Naval base is very close by and it's it's kind of cool. You have like porthole Right. Um, stuff on it that makes it look like you're looking out from inside the unit, but out looking out of a ship to, oh, you know, right. just a lot of stuff like that. Um, my fiance, well, now wife, uh, she's the one that designed it. I could not have done it. Yeah. <laughs> not, yeah the financial analysis part's different, but not, <laughs> yeah. not with making things look pretty. You would have a spreadsheet theme. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> For, on that note, funny enough, um, a chant of spreadsheet, spreadsheet broke out up at my wedding during one of our, uh, one of the speeches. Yeah, my dad was talking about, oh, my son, you know, this and that. He loves spreadsheets. And all of a sudden, the my my uh, cousin started chanting spreadsheets and I joined in. It was pretty interesting. <laughs> Very typical. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we, we themed each of the units and we've had a lot of people that are inquiring like, oh, I'm coming to go whale watching. I saw your unit. And, oh my gosh, this looks perfect for my stay, right? So um, the idea behind it was that you could charge more for those units um, and deliver a bit more of an experience than just a cozy stay. So it was a, there's definitely a fine balance of making sure that it looks nice regardless of whether you're staying for the, that purpose or not, but mm-hmm. also having that theme to, to get people to come. Um, so that was the idea behind it. And so we, it took some time to renovate all the units, but by May of 2022, we had all of them uh, done. So we had a few kind of leading up to that, but the, by May 2nd, I think it was like, okay, all of them are online now. And for the first few months, we were crushing it. Like we were on, the, on our six units, we were making about $40,000 a month for May was a bit of a ramp up period because we just got them online. But like June, July, August, we we're making about 40000 cash flow. That's gross. Gross. Uh, minus expenses. Yeah. Minus expenses. Yep. So you're, yeah. And so I'm guessing you're probably, that's still though, you're probably making, if you're around 20 grand a month. Yeah, 10 or 15 extent. net for those those months. Um, and then Terrible. September went down to 33. Okay, well, 33 is still good. And then October was $16,000 gross. And then November's 13,000. And then it, the November seemed to be one of the worst months. And then December kind of picked up. And January, February was not very good either. And it started to pick up in spring. And now the summer is kind of a bit closer to where we were, but not quite where we were last summer. And so it was a bit of a shock because ahead of buying this property downtown Victoria, uh, there's a website called AirDNA, which aggregates um, short-term rental information and data in the marketplace. And then you look at what your average daily rents and vacancies, et cetera, all are in that market. And it did actually even, it even rates the market for how cyclical it is and seasonal. And the seasonality rating for Victoria was really good. It was like an A minus, i.e. it's not super peaky and troughy. Our experience was very different. <laughs> very different. What do you attribute it to? The Matt Matt's going to say the Queen's room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's too boring, Kyle. It's too boring. Yeah. <laughs> Can I be frank? Yeah. <laughs> we got to stay in it and yeah. check it out. Yeah, See how boring it really it. is. It sounds fantastic. Yeah. It sounds fantastic. Well, I think that. One of the observations I had is that a lot of our investor clients, um, and so this is, some of it's anecdotal, some of it is hard data, but um, I think a lot of investors decided, I'm not getting enough cash flow from regular rentals, I'm going to do a short-term rental. 
And I think the supply of available short-term rentals mm-hmm. in Victoria exploded, right. just exploded because people were looking for yield. How do I get more money? I got to move into short-term rentals, mm-hmm. which was kind of interesting because one of my thoughts buying this property was that right in COVID, a lot of people would have converted what may have been a short-term rental into a long-term rental because, yeah. hey, I can't rent it anyways. Mm-hmm. Once you get a long-term tenant in BC, it's almost impossible to get rid of them. So my thought was the supply had decreased and it would be very sticky. It'd be very hard for the supply to increase in Victoria. And somehow that was not true. The huh. the the amount of supply increased significantly. And if you look at, you know, we're kind of checking out the Facebook uh, pages for Victoria short-term rentals and that kind of stuff to see what other people are saying. And a lot of people did this as their first investment or converted it from long-term to short-term as one of their first investments. And we're like, oh my gosh, I can't afford it. And now it's in a variable rate. And now this is happening, this is happening. So I'm optimistic that we're going to be able to hold on for longer than a lot of others. And we'll see a bunch of people wipe out. And, and kind of get out of uh, the short-term rental, which should lower the the supply and then right. we'll be better. But even the hotels in Victoria have been suffering throughout that winter. It was a very dark winter. <laughs> <laughs> so I, th- I think, and something we chatted about really briefly was, I'm sure pretty much everybody that's listening to this podcast went on a hot vacation during this winter and or knows somebody that went on a hot vacation this winter because... Right you couldn't get on or didn't want to get on a plane uh, to travel during COVID, right? Mm-hmm. And so now that you finally could, it was just a breakthrough. Like everybody's going somewhere hot. And that's reflected in the prices of all these, like the desirable hot yeah. destinations, right? Yep. Um, and I love that. Uh, I think that's bang on the uh, the observation of of people being like, well, renting it long-term yeah, looking for sense. yield. Yeah. Let's look for max yield. Because I, we've had a few listings that are Airbnb friendly in Vancouver and they've gone absolutely bananas. And then we've also had so many people reaching out saying, well, we want to, we want to do Airbnb, which is not easy to do in this city. No. Like, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Right. But that, that well, totally yet. lines up with what we're seeing on the ground. People still trying to make it work and cover their costs. But now obviously with interest rates, trying to get very creative. Mm-hmm. Yep. hundred so percent. Makes sense. Yeah, and I think it's very telling too. It just seems like it's going to be becoming harder and harder to be a landlord in Vancouver, mm-hmm. you know. And the government's not making it easier for people to buy a property and just put a tenant in it with, you know, all the restrictions that come along with it. I mean, if you think about this, with the the inflationary pressures on on rents, because we've owned it as a short term rental for this time period, if we ever wanted to convert it to a long term, we get to jump right into market rents mm-hmm. instead of being stuck with a bunch of tenants that are paying what are now way under market by right. 20%, 25%. So the nice thing is, if we want, we can just ride this out as an Airbnb. And at some point, we say, you know what, we've kind of hit a bit of a peak on, in rents, convert all of them to long-term, yeah. and then just sit on it. But we've been able to take advantage of that, where if we had tenants from three or five years ago that, you know, we can't get rid of them, now they're they're paying way under market, right? So Yeah, smart, for sure. I also want to think, like... You've got investments throughout Western Canada. Like, are you monitoring an area in BC or is there anything that's really exciting that you're, you're watching right now? Um, what and where would you buy? Yeah, good question. I've been looking at a lot of, lot of different stuff. I mean, personally, for a number of different reasons, I'm focusing more on, on investing in my, in my business. I just bought a mortgage brokerage last year and so I'm kind of investing in that. 
I'm working on some other technology solutions in the mortgage broker business as well, which I can't tell you because I'd have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> sign this NDA, please. Right, yeah. right. Uh, I wouldn't kill you guys, but sign no. the NDA. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not recording this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think when I look at the opportunities, if I was to buy something, I'm not really... It, it's interesting. I'm not really sure if the Airbnb model is going to be great or not moving forward. But one thing I really liked about our Victoria deal is it's one of, I think there's 15-ish buildings in downtown Victoria that have the zoning that permits that use. I'm very concerned about people buying properties that do not have the zoning that permits that. And municipal pressure, especially if we have another mini boom in 2025, like we have to solve this housing problem. What are cities going to do, mm-hmm. right? Okay, we got to shut the, down these Airbnbs and increase the available rental stock in the marketplace to calm this down. So I'm very nervous about people buying Airbnbs in areas we can't continue to do that, especially if it doesn't have the zoning that permits that, that use, um, which is one of the reasons that we like that asset is that we have the zoning. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be something I would look for if possible, but it's not easy to find. But there are areas where you can find the appropriate zoning that permits that use. I like Vancouver Island as a general rule of thumb. Um, I have noticed that a lot of people have been moving over to Vancouver Island. You have a growing population of people looking for that retirement spot. And it's not even just BC residents moving there. It's like across Canada. Uh, Vancouver Island is a very enticing location. We also have a lot of people that are moving there for uh, because they're in healthcare, as an example. There's a few more hospitals that have been kind of opening up over on the island. And people that are nurses making eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 a year, they make the exact same amount of money living in the island. They can buy a lot more property mm-hmm. there. So I think you even have people that are in certain segments that are finding that they can make the same amount of money, but lower cost of living. And they're moving over to, to Vancouver Island. So as a general rule of thumb, I do like Vancouver Island. Specific areas of Vancouver Island would be like Souk. I like Souk because they've kind of twinned the highway between or are twinning it between um, uh, Langford and, and Souk, making it a bit more accessible. And you kind of have that natural urban sprawl effect happening there. Right. Prince George is another interesting one. Um, it's kind of the hub of Northern BC. It's funny when you look at a map, Northern BC, it's like a quarter of the way up Northern BC. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Not really that north, but yes, it's Northern BC, I suppose. Those markets, uh, like, Prince George and Kamloops that are hubs of of blue collar um, employment are are always interesting, especially Prince George being a reasonably well diversified area where there is government work, there is the schools, there's forestry, there's some mining close by. There's it, it's well diversified, and so as an investor, you can get good cash flow with I think reasonable expected appreciation moving forward. Um, and it's not too small of a of a market. Uh, sometimes you get stuck in a small town where you have to wait for that cycle to come back, and mm-hmm. that can take a really long time sometimes, right? Other than that, I think Calgary is an interesting market, but it's just harder to get cash flow there because there's less suited homes in Calgary. Right. Um, so a lot of those are in the floodplain, and you can't get the suited home. And then you, in general, you get more rental income if you can suite a house as opposed to just having one tenant. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting market that I'm kind of keeping my eye on. Uh, other than that, it's 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 tough. It's kind of on a per deal basis, I would say. I think I I'd probably, if I was to buy something right now, one of the top ones I would say is actually downtown Vancouver condos. Right. If you look at the prices from five years ago, they're barely higher, if that. And so I really like that that market. I think we also saw a ton of people moving out east because of COVID. And we're finding that people's employers want them to come back, entertainment's back. People are starting to come back to major uh, major urban centers. 
And in particular, too, immigrants coming to Canada, a lot of them are coming in, making good money. They're, they're software engineers, et cetera. And they're going to be more drawn to major urban centers. And so Toronto, Vancouver, I think, are going to be good markets. We've been banging that same drum. And uh, yesterday I was out touring uh, some condos downtown. And I think the value is incredible right now downtown. Mm -hmm. yep. Like, it's just exceptional. Even in the two-bed, like, uh, more so, like, even for end-user products, like, really, really beautiful high-end condos, two-bed, a large two-bed condos that are just beautiful and and the price points seem really exceptional right now compared to looking around the yep. lower mainland, right? I was on a call with a customer right before I showed up here. And I don't know, I hadn't really, like, really thought about this. But, you know, they've got a place in Gastown worth about $650,000 approximately and getting about $2,100, $2,200 a month. And a call I had on Monday, the previous day, was with a customer that has a place in Surrey that they're paying... $550,000 for, it's a two-bedroom, and they're expecting about the same amount of rent. Maybe it was even five fifty plus GSC, so I think closer to 600000 So the price is almost the same, and the rents are almost the same. Now, would you rather have a two-bedroom condo in Surrey or, or a place in Gastown? I mean, I, I feel like it's yeah. clear to me what I would prefer to yeah. own. You can't build as much product in Vancouver as you can in Surrey, you know? So you're going to have supply and demand factors at play in downtown Vancouver that we haven't seen yet. But because foreign buyer ban, um, because less immigration over the last little while, but it takes a while for immigrants to move here and then to figure out where they want to be. And I think that uh, I like downtown Vancouver. It's just, again, the problem is the cash flow for the first, you know, probably two years won't be right. there. But eventually, I think it will be. Date the rate, marry the property. Is that it? I like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kyle, we have this segment called the Five Wire, five lighthearted questions that we end every show with. Uh, can you stick around for that? Of course. The Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. Question number one, one book that you've read recently that you would recommend for our listeners? Um, Shoe Dog, the oh, story yeah, Nike. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was really, really cool, especially for an audiobook. Um, I find audiobooks are... I'm listening to them quite a bit because I commute from North Van every day. Right. Um, but I uh, find something that kind of captivates my interest, but also is a nice uh, story about entrepreneurship and, uh, and whatnot too. So I like that one. Have you really. seen the, the movie? Not yet, no. I, it's on, like it's probably the next one we watch. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that's a great book. In the last few years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Wow. Um... I, I mean, five five years ago, I started um, on a ketogenic diet. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been five and a half years now, almost six. Crazy. I can't How believe it's you, been a uh, little. Uh, I'm always blown away. How do you know when you're in ketosis? I mean, in the beginning, you, you can gotta, prick your finger and or pee yeah. on a strip, that kind of stuff, to kind of measure it. Um, once you've been doing it for some time and you kind of... You know, you're going to have periods of time where you go in and out of it to like on a weekend or whatever. Right. And then you you kind of feel it. In general, 
all of a sudden you're peeing a lot. <laughs> yeah. Because your body processes the fat and turns it into ketones. Uh, that's why they call it keto. Um, but it's, it's similar to when you're drinking alcohol. It's the same process where all of a sudden you're peeing a lot, you know. So um, usually you kind of know a couple days into getting back onto the keto diet, all of a sudden you have a day where you're just like peeing all day. And that's usually the, the moment where you kind of know you're back into it. Uh, you also lose a lot of water weight, which a lot of people love the diet because, like, oh, my God, a, a week or two in, they've lost seven pounds. It's like, well, five of that was water. <laughs> Sorry yeah. to let you know. As soon as you eat carbs again, you're going to gain five pounds, right? Right. But I, I think in general, I found that with a busy lifestyle and and whatnot, I just find the research that I've kind of looked into and done and whatnot, that it, it's just, it keeps me, It's I don't mind eating the same thing all the time. Uh, my wife disagrees with that, but that's fine. Um, but I... I find it easier to just always eat natural foods because you can't, most processed foods are, happen to be carbohydrates and there's no, oh, I'll just have a bite of cake and the next thing you know, the whole piece is gone, right? Yeah. Um, I just, I, I can't have it. And so I just don't have any of it. And it just, I find that it's a way of maintaining my weight because I, I find I've actually been better at like maintaining my weight as I've been getting older. Whereas in my like 20s, it was harder and I was, you know, exercising more perhaps even at that time. Mm. So I find it's easier even if I'm exercising or not, like right. I can maintain my weight a lot easier. Cool. Yeah. What have you been binge watching lately? Binge it sounds watching. like, I mean, you're, you're a busy guy. You just got married. You might not be watching anything, but, uh, favorite movie, favorite movie. <laughs> what do you been watching? watching? Um, so we watched, uh, we watched a cool movie last week called, uh, Tetris. Oh wow! Yeah, so it's the it was on Apple, yeah, Apple TV, I think it was, but it was the uh, story of like in the late '80s, I think it was, of the fellow who's trying to get the rights from uh, Moscow to because there's a person I, in Moscow that created the game, yeah. yeah, and the crazy story of negotiating with the CCCP in that time frame and. Uh, the the imminent collapse of the USSR and all oh, that. It was wow. a really kind of, it tied in a lot of cool stuff. That actually sounds great. It was really, really intriguing, actually. I really like that movie. And, Tetris. Uh, yeah, it's called Tetris. We do this every time with you, but favorite band or music? I know it's electronic music. I just, uh, maybe a band recommendation. A band recommendation. Um, where well, where I, would you I heard, start? Uh, if... So I heard Tools coming back and playing uh, in Vancouver ah. in October, I think huh. it is. I used to be a big metalhead when I was growing up, you know, when you're an angry teenager and life sucks, you know. <laughs> but uh, I love Tool, actually. So I am. I, I was looking at the prices for floor seats. And it was like $400. I'm like, oh, God, this is really expensive. $400. So, yeah, I, I wow. feel like I'll probably try to scalp it closer to the date. Um, but, um, yeah, I, cool. I really like Tool, one of my favorite bands of all time. It's good. Good yeah. recommendation. All right. Last but not least, something you have purchased for under $1,500 that has changed your life in a positive way in the last few years. Under 1500 bucks. I don't spend a lot of money. Usually I just spend it on expensive stuff. <laughs> Over $1,500. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> My Golf R. <laughs> yeah. That thing is a lot of fun. Um, under $1,500. This is really random, but you guys will laugh. You'll enjoy it. So before Christmas last year, we were looking at like buying a nice, you know, jacket for the Christmas time and stuff. And I found a nice green velvet Jack sport coat nice. and it is awesome. Put, pop on a nice 
gold bow tie with that or whatever to really get festive. And everybody walks up and they touch it. Like, oh, this is <laughs> green velvet. I play up the green card a lot, as you guys probably know. Right? <laughs> so it's just I'm a walking brand, you know, whatever you want to call it, right? People, people, people love it, though. So. Hey, under fifteen hundred bucks. Take it where you can get it. <laughs> uh, how can people find out more about what you're doing, Kyle? Yeah, website contact. Yeah, uh, www.greenmortgageteam.ca. Uh, you can also call us six zero four two two nine five five one five. I have lots of spreadsheets. So if you're buying properties, we have a cash flow analysis spreadsheet you can use to look compare property A and B. Um, we also have a spreadsheet that that allows you to compare taking a variable rate versus a fixed rate. Or comparing two fixed rates together. So you can take a, a, you know, should I take a two-year rate or a three-year rate? Well, compare is what the break-even rate and the renewal of the first term, the shorter term, and what the break-even rate would be, need to be for you to be better off or worse off taking different terms. So um, we found that that's been really helpful, especially with people that are trying to figure out, should I lock in my variable mm-hmm. or not? Because mm-hmm. right. you can just plug in what, what your variable rate is and the amount that you owe and what the lock-in rate would be, and it'll map out what the difference in interest would be based on the current assumptions in the marketplace. So it's a useful tool to, to help with that. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks again for taking the time today, Kyle. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot, guys. There you have it, folks, our discussion with Kyle Green, owner of the Green Mortgage Team and Mortgage Broker. Always enjoy having Kyle on the program. Looking very dapper. He's on top of the world. He just got married. And uh, yeah, great having him in studio. You know what? It was great having him down. Always useful takeaways, right? Yes. I feel like he's he's really been successful because he's very smart at explaining things very in useful terms. Always has tangible, always has tangible takeaways. And, and, you know, I, I feel like he's got his finger on the pulse. Not afraid to share his failures as well, right? Because in this world that we, you know, with Instagram and everything where everybody only celebrates their wins, Kyle, you know, will talk about his investment failures in a way that's like he's just super candid. Yeah. And you can always learn a ton from him and he's not afraid to to share where he's gone wrong, which is always important. So Yeah, absolutely. No, it was, uh, it was great having him down. We'll have to have him back. Matt... You're taking off to the um, Kokomo life in Winnipeg, Manitoba. That's right. <laughs> You're yeah. on your way out the door tomorrow or Sunday? Uh, yeah, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Okay. And uh, so basically, I'm still around. I'm I'm holding down the fort. We've got our whole team here, yeah. but you're going to be uh, surfing or whatever you're doing down living, there. Just living the dream. Living the dream. Just living the dream. <laughs> Surf town hopping. Yeah. Anyways, so uh, there's that. And then what else do we got before we cut for the day? What else do we have? We have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website where all things real estate related live. It's new. It's updated. It's way more user-friendly. So head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com where you can find things like the live wire. This is our weekly mailer where you can stay on top of all things, including deal of the month, VIP access to pre-sale, stats, different types of stats, stats before anyone else. There's no reason why you shouldn't be on the live wire. We also have, of course, private client services. Yeah, Matt, if you are a buyer looking for real estate in Vancouver, there is no reason you shouldn't be using PCS because you're standing still while the rest of us power walk by. That's right. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor-level information for free. It's the best listings management software out there. You can sign up for your own free account over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. All you got to do is hit that button, buy with us. Buy with us. That'll take you to the sign up for PCS Create your own account today. I don't think that's, we really, I don't think we have anything else other than the fact that we have some phenomenal guests coming. Huge We've names, already talked to them. Huge already names in the them. industry. 
And uh, and actually, we're booked now right through the end of August. So we've got some phenomenal shows coming. I'm super excited. I might and, stay. Uh, I might stay in Kokomo for a while. You're, yeah, exactly. But yeah. Anyways, have a great week. And Matt, how can people get in touch with you? You can call at any time seven seven eight eight four seven two eight five four or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at seven seven eight eight six six four five seven four or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We'll have a great week everyone and uh, we'll see you back here same time next week take care two thousand spaces for radio subscribe today